Welcome to Story Tadpole. This is the podcast where I can share my stories. My name's Eric Grossman. The title of this story is Pluto. I was in third grade when I learned Pluto was the ninth planet from the sun. When our teacher showed us a photograph of Pluto, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It was so perfectly round. There were a few blemishes, but they were tiny and insignificant. I later learned that all planets of a certain size become spherical due to gravity, but by that time Pluto was well entrenched as my favorite. It was so far from humanity. Anything was possible out there in the far reaches of the galaxy. I spent much of third grade drawing different versions of the aliens on Pluto. Most of them had big, beautiful noses and bodies composed primarily of yogurt. Soon after I deemed Pluto the greatest of all planets, a news report came out that said Pluto wasn't actually a planet at all. They called it a dwarf planet, which is neither a planet nor a rock, but something lost in between. The whole thing happened because some scientists found out there was another planet close by Pluto called Eris. Eris was 27% larger than Pluto, but they refused to call it the 10th planet. It simply could not be. Our solar system does not contain 10 planets. It only contains 9. If there were 10, then there'd be double-digit planets, and oh my god, at that point we might as well call my left butt cheek a planet. Eris. Not Iris. Not Arid. But Eris. The scientist was bathing when he came up with it. He stewed in his brand new Nobel Prize jacuzzi for hours, licking his chops, repeating the name out loud over and over, even though nobody was around. Eris. 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 His smile wide and red. What a pretty sounding name, he thought. I am so clever, he thought. Later, I found out Eris is not a made-up word. It is the name of the Greek goddess of discord and strife. She was responsible for starting the Trojan War. She was also responsible for my declaration of war against the International Astronomical Union for swiftly and easily slicing Pluto away from relevancy. One of my friends knew of my love for Pluto and used every opportunity to remind me that it wasn't a planet anymore. I'd say something like, it doesn't matter, it's still there, even if it's not a planet. It's not like it just disappeared. Then he'd say something like, you're wrong, it matters, Pluto sucks. You see, Pluto was my favorite planet for a very specific set of reasons. I felt the coldness, the loneliness that Pluto felt. I pretended like I didn't care, that I liked it out there in the far reaches of dead space just like Pluto pretended. When Pluto was no longer a planet, I was no longer fully human. I began to change. As the autumn sun shriveled and hid behind the colorless wall of winter, my skin too began to lose its color. The other kids in my class sat down at their desks, cheeks rosy from waiting for the morning bus. My cheeks were not rosy. The dry air turned them a dusty gray. Every day I lost more and more pigment until my skin was bone white. 
In midwinter, we took a vocabulary test, and as I began to write the definition of articulate, I noticed my right index finger was partially missing. The base was white, but as my eyes followed its progression toward the tip, it became translucent. By the end of the test, the area above my second knuckle was completely invisible. I could feel it there gripping my pencil, but I couldn't see it. I wiggled it back and forth and saw only the faint swaying of a barely visible outline. When it was still, there was nothing at all. I balanced my pencil on it, and yes, that worked. The pencil appeared to float above my desk. By the time spring hit, nearly my whole body was gone. I was never asked about my condition. Even my parents ignored it. I heard my mother say to my father, Honey, can you ask your son to set the dinner table? To which my father responded, I haven't seen him. The conversation would end there. I raised my hand in class, the faint outline warping the air just a little as it went up, but my teacher looked straight through me and called on the kids sitting directly behind me. During recess, I'd build miniature forts out of wood chips by myself, and the other kids would watch as the forts appeared to construct themselves. Yet I remained unquestioned. At first, when I spoke, others would turn in my direction, listen, and respond appropriately. But as my condition worsened, they would only cock their heads as if they'd just heard a whistle on the wind. This was all very frustrating. I attempted to relieve my frustration by playing small pranks. When I stuck out my leg to trip one of my classmates, he fell with confusion, but he noticed his shoes were untied, so he continued without question. I kicked our full-length classroom window as hard as I could, which cracked the glass, but just when I did this, a bird flew into the window, taking the blame from me. One night, my father cooked spaghetti and meatballs for dinner. I stood behind my sister, and whenever she tried to eat one, I knocked it from her fork back onto her plate. After I did this for the fifth time, she said, This fork is broken. She then excused herself from the table and picked a new fork from the silverware drawer. I began to think that everything I'd ever been told was a lie. My mother always said that money didn't buy happiness, so I began stealing money in order to buy happiness. I skipped school and went to Tony's sandwich shop. When the customers paid for their meals, I'd pluck the cash from their hands and stuff it into my pocket. After a couple hours, my pockets were overflowing. I'd made hundreds of dollars. It was the first time I'd smiled in weeks. I immediately went to the candy store to buy $300 worth of chocolate cream chuggies. I splayed them on the counter, but the cashier took no notice, so I left the money and walked away, but quickly went back to see if the cashier had taken it. I prayed that the cashier had noticed the money, had put it safely in the register, and had continued as normal. But it was still there, sitting on the countertop, untouched. I screamed at him to take the money. I grabbed it and threw it at him. I shoved it in his face, in his mouth. I twisted it into a torpedo shape and rammed it up his nose. I yelled, this is real visible money. It's yours. Take it. Don't even put it in the register for all I care. Just take it home. Spend it all. It's yours. You've won the lottery. The cashier took no notice. Even when his eyes started to water, 
as he gagged the money back out of his throat. He took no notice. The wet bills dribbled from his chin back onto the countertop, where they floated silently in a pool of his saliva. He looked at the checkout line and said, I can take the next customer. Pluto and I had never been closer. We were unmonitored, unaffected, unaffecting, uncaring. Not just invisible, but not there. For a while after, I think I still existed. I was still aware of myself. I was pretty sure I was still there. But then this too may have faded. I don't know. If there is, in fact, a specific moment that things cease to exist, then mine was accompanied by a final hope. That Pluto's gravity continues to tug, even if just barely, on the asteroids that pass by. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Story Tadpole. I will be back next week with another story. If you like the story, please leave a review on iTunes, and you can subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. My email is in the description if you'd like to send me an email and give me some feedback. That would be awesome. Um, And I'll see you next week with a brand new story. Goodbye for now. Live well. Be good to the people around you. Goodbye.